morning, beloved. Question for you. If I were to offer you in this moment key lime pie or a moose tracks milkshake, what are you going with? Oh, uh, yeah? Is it a hard decision for any of you? No. <laughs> I, I hear some very, like, confident responses, one or the other, um, and then when I asked if it's a hard decision, I heard a firm no. <laughs> um, so it sounds like we're pretty decisive people. Um, but sometimes decisions are hard. Uh, that is not a hard decision for me. I, uh, my taste buds have changed a bit, and actually the last time I ate key lime pie, it was because I was trying to be friendly to some friends that had made a dinner, and they included key lime pie, and I was astounded that I did not throw up, um, because um, I'm, <laughs> I had not tried it, mind you, in more than 25 years. Um, but as a kid, my mom would make key lime pie. It was like her signature dessert. And I am not exaggerating at all. If I was playing outside and she started making key lime pie, if I just opened the door, the scent of that would hit me and I would double over. Like I would almost throw up just from opening the door and smelling that scent. I love fruit, but there's something about key lime pie that just, I don't know. Um, But things have changed. So it would not be hard for me to be like, nope, going with the moose tracks. Um, Why? Because our desires are what actually dictate our decisions. Our decisions are going to align to our desires. Um, but if I have Moose Tracks milkshake here and a key lime pie, and I say, I'm getting, I'm getting to that point where my metabolism is really slowing down. I want, I want it so bad, but I also don't want the, the effect that it's going to have on me. And so I decide to step away from that and think, oh man, like I want it so badly. But if I can actually step away from that and say, no, I'm not going to partake in that, How did I make that decision? The same answer. It's the same answer. That my decisions are going to align to my desires. Because in that moment, if I were to step away from these sweet treats, it would be because there's a greater desire in me to live a healthier life. And so it's still true. Even in the hard decisions, when you choose something, knowing this is going to be hard for me or hard for you or hard for many, we still, we're ultimately always bound to make the decision that aligns most with what we treasure most. What we desire dictates what we decide. And so this traces out. We've been in the book of Philemon for some number of weeks now, and we're continuing today. So if you have your copy of Scripture, it's also going to be on the screen, but we're in Philemon. We're going to look at verses 13 and 14 today. But to lead us up to this point, know that this book is written by the Apostle Paul, who is a church planter going throughout the Gentile world, trying to plant churches, proclaiming the gospel that Jesus is truly the the mediator. He is the God. He is the only way back to God. And so he offers salvation through his life, his death, and his resurrection for us. If we would just turn from our sin, repent, confess, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he is Lord. And so this salvation, this gospel that is the power to save, he wants the whole world to know it. And as he's going around, he encounters this guy Philemon. Philemon and Paul are on a a no name-to-name basis. They know each other. Like, if he addresses them, he knows who he is. And yet, also in his travels, Paul has come to know this other guy, Onesimus. Onesimus and Philemon also know each other. So there's this whole triangle going on here. But what has happened is Philemon is a man of means, of wealth. He has a house church. And so he's got enough wealth that he has a home big enough to welcome in a church. And so there's a church meeting in his home. He owns at least one slave, if not more slaves. One of them is named Onesimus. And yet, Onesimus has run away from Philemon. And Onesimus encounters Paul. 
becomes the spiritual son, so to speak, of Paul. And so Philemon has lost a runaway slave named Onesimus. Onesimus has encountered Paul, has become a follower of Jesus, and now all three of them are followers of Jesus. And Paul is writing this letter to Philemon saying, hey, take Onesimus back, but don't take him back the same way that he left. Take him back as a brother. Take him back in light of the gospel. Change the way. And so he's appealing to him on the basis of love. Do what's right. Do what's right. And this is where we come to verse 13. Paul continues and he says, I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. So Paul, remember, has said to Philemon, hey, I'm sending your slave back. I really wanted to keep him with me. So that while I'm in prison, because of the gospel, you know, that's what we're all about, remember? We're all on this mission today. We're about the gospel advancing. Jesus, right before he ascended, he gave us our marching orders. We're to take this gospel to all nations, to every people group, every ethnos. Everyone should hear this gospel. And we're all on the same team. And as we go forward in that, I really wanted to keep them with me so that he could serve me in your stead. So him serving me in my imprisonment because of the gospel would be the same as you, Philemon, serving me. And we're all on the same team, remember? Like, I wanted that. So that begs the question, then why didn't you just keep him? Like, let's avoid the awkwardness of like, you sent a slave back to a master. This could not go well for him. And you're hoping, you're hoping that he remembers the gospel and acts in accordance with the gospel. But you're saying you wanted to keep him. So why didn't you just keep him? Why not just keep him? Well, one, because it's illegal to keep a runaway slave in the Roman Empire. But two, so that it would be a blessing to all parties. If Philemon were to receive Onesimus back and then say, no, I want you to go serve Paul, then everyone involved gets to be blessed by this. Look at how he says it in verse 14. He says, but I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but of your own free will. I want you to hear the irony in this. Paul is writing on behalf of a runaway slave to a slave master. And he says, I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed might not be out of obligation but your own free will. Don't you think Philemon should hear that? I feel a little, oh, yeah. As he considers receiving back a slave, Paul is undoing the evils of slavery. And we'll talk much more about this in a couple of weeks. But here's the thing. Paul wanted Philemon to choose to do what was right of his own accord. He wanted Philemon to decide for himself to do what was right and good. He wanted it to be his own choice. Do you ever struggle to decide to do what is right? Because remember, our decisions align to our desires. And sometimes our desires are all out of whack. And we struggle with making the right decision. Or sometimes we just struggle with making a decision at all. Um, geek out on you. Kids, you can track with this, okay? I, I, I'm believing in you. Soren Kierkegaard, philosopher, Christian philosopher from the 1800s. Um, he lives in the age of the advent of mass communication. So the telegram the telephone, and railroads connecting more people across the planet closer than ever before. So it's an age when there's mass communication. You learn about things that you never would have had access to prior to this. And so he's living in that day, watching this unfold. And as he's watching it unfold, he makes a lot of comments on individualism. And he's saying, here's the irony, that as we become more and more connected with more and more people, I foresee that more and more of us will actually live less. More and more of us will actually just become spectators. And so there's only a few select people who are actually living life, and the rest of us are just watching. 
Does this sound prophetic at all? Huh? This is the 1800s. And he says, what's happening is that as more and more people are just becoming spectators, watching and vicariously living through a select few instead of really living their lives, it becomes an actual loss of individuality. That as we all watch a handful of people do all the things we wish we could do, and yet the irony in that is if you approach somebody in that spectator position, are you an individual? Well, of course. Of course, I make my own decisions and everything. And yet he argues you've actually lost your individuality. And why is that? Um, he says it's two things. They're, you're lost either in the infinite or in the finite. If you're lost in the infinite, it's just being paralyzed by the endless options that come before us and you believe to be valid. You, cheesecake Factory, you get a book like a Bible. <laughs> and some of us are like, that's amazing. I'm going to find something I want. Most of us are like, I don't know. <laughs> like, and so it's a, it's a huge trend now to actually simplify menus because we've realized the decision fatigue and decision overload is a real thing. And so lost in the infinite is the fact that because we're so connected, there's so many things we think are viable options that we're just stuck and we can't decide anymore. Or to be lost in the finite is not giving enough thought to what the real possibilities are and ending up just getting lost or swept along with the culture and the expectations of others. Again, is this 1800s? Or 2023. It's here. But in either extreme, lost in the finite or lost in the infinite, you're just stuck, not deciding. Stuck. Unable to decide. But what dictates our decisions? Our desires. Sometimes we don't even know what we desire. There's so much thrown at us. We're like the Israelites at Mount Carmel. Do you remember um, the story of Ahab and Elijah at Mount Carmel? Elijah is a prophet of the one true God. And Ahab has led the Israelites into all kinds of absurd idolatry. And it comes to this point in 1 Kings chapter 18 where um, it says this in verse 20. It says, so Ahab, the king, he summoned all the Israelites and gathered the prophets at Mount Carmel. Then Elijah approached all the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. Have you caught that detail in that story? That is, prophets of Baal, 400 of them, mind you, have come up with the king to Mount Carmel. And here's Elijah, who's done amazing things. And he's like, let's decide, guys. If, if God is God, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But let's decide today, okay? What, is, what say you? And they all stare at him. The literal words of scripture. But the people didn't answer him a word stuck, unable to decide. But then they watched, and then they chose. Kids, you remember this story? You actually covered it just a couple of months ago in your classes. So you're at this mountain, and there's all these people who believe in a fake God, a false God. And then there's this one prophet who believes in the one true God, and he's done amazing things, but there's this kind of like, it's a showdown. Let's see who's really God. And so he's like, here's the deal. Cut up an animal for a sacrifice. Set it up there. Prepare the whole offering, but don't set it on fire. Fire is how you would make that offering. Just get it all ready, but don't set it on fire, okay? And then I'll do the same thing. You call on your God, I'll call on my God. We'll see which God responds with fire, okay? Sounds like a plan. It's fair. Let's, let's do this. And so the prophets of Baal, they set up their sacrifice. They've got the animal slaughtered and everything. It's all there, ready to go. And they start calling out to Baal. Come on, Baal. Send down your fire. Light it up. Let's go. Prove to the world that you're the God and all this stuff. And nothing is happening. It's crickets. Like, 
And Elijah, I love his personality. He's taunting them. He's mocking them. He's like, crickets, what's happening over there, guys? I'm getting a little fidgety. Hey, 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 he's a god. Maybe he went for a walk. He's lost. He wandered off. Like, ah, maybe he got hungry. It's lunchtime. I've been waiting here for a while. Where are you guys? And they're getting more and more frantic. And they're like, come on, Baal. Come on, Baal. I've given you my life and all this stuff. And they're dancing around. And it gets so twisted that they're actually hurting themselves and bleeding on the sacrifice. Like, it's supposed to be the animal sacrifice. Now they're hurting themselves. Like, it's completely absurd what they're doing. And nothing happens. Baal fails to respond because guess what? Baal's not real. And then Elijah... He's got his sacrifice. He brings together these stones, builds an altar, has the animal there, and it's been a drought and a famine. And so water is scarce at this point. Like water is a hot commodity. And he's like, bring buckets of water. This thing's going to be set on fire, but let's go ahead and soak it. You know what happens to wet wood? It doesn't burn. But he's like, drench it, like soak it. There's a moat that's filled up around it. And then he's like, all right, God, show him you're the real God. And you know what happens? Fire falls from heaven and just incinerates everything, like even the rocks. Like, it's amazing. And you know what the people do? They decide because they saw that God is truly God. They say, the Lord God, he is the God. They decided in this moment when they were once stuck, they watched and then they chose. Here's the thing. You have to choose to worship. I don't know what happened this morning. I don't know what has gone wrong. I don't know what has happened this week, what has happened in your life. I don't know where you've come from. God does. You can still choose to worship. You can still choose to worship, but this decision to worship is just a response. It's our deciding as a response to God who took the initiative. It's like the people on Mount Carmel watching as God's power came down and revealed his worthiness to have all of their devotion, to have all of their affection, that we too see the power of God come from heaven as God the Son comes from heaven, condescends, meaning he comes down and he enters in with us. Emmanuel, God with us. And now God with us lives a sinless life He dies the death that you and I deserve, nailed to a cross. The wrath of God from heaven above is poured out on the Son of God and absorbed by him so that he would pay the penalty of our sin. So we would not have to face that. And the justice of God would be satisfied. And he died. He actually died. They buried him in a tomb, but on the third day, just as he predicted, he conquered even death. And so he has conquered sin. He has conquered death. He has paid our penalty. He is our propitiation. He is the sacrifice of all sacrifices. And the power of God revealed, poured down from heaven to us. We see this good news. We see this gospel as Jesus comes and conquers. And he says, now follow me. Put your trust in me. Confess me to be Lord. Believe in your heart that I died and I rose again. Know that you are a sinner, but I am mighty to save sinners. Do you see the glory of a Savior like that? Do you see how God from heaven has shown us how his power has come down just like on Mount Carmel? The Son of God mercifully and joyfully taking our place. You see this display. You savor it. You behold Christ. And you consider the worth of the one who created all things has now created us and new people. Recreated. He is our salvation. Treasure him. I slow down for a moment and really consider God. As the psalmist would say, taste and see. Your desires are all out of whack. 
you're chasing after these things and these things and those things and there's just so much and maybe there's so much that you're just stuck and paralyzed that you don't know what to do. What do you taste and see that the Lord is good? Feast on him because our decisions align with what our hearts treasure. So see the treasure that Christ is and choose to worship with your whole life in response to him. The band is going to come and we're going to sing some more songs. And I hope, even as the instrumentation is down and up and all the things that are happening around you, would you just focus and fix your eyes on the God who has displayed his greatness as his power has come down in God the Son and proven that he loves you, that he is for you. If you would call him your Lord, if you would treasure him and forsake all else and see that he is worth everything. And so worship is an expression of worthiness. Would you see that he is the greatest treasure? What do you want to say? And then, not just with lips, not just with clapped hands, not just with standing or kneeling, bowing, whatever it is, but with the entirety of our lives, can we respond to him in worship? Decide to worship. Choose to worship. And let's do that together. <laughs>